I'm Mark Lynch, Director of the Project on Middle East Political Science. Welcome to the POMAPS Podcast, our series of conversations with leading scholars in the field. Uh, with me today is Dan Corstange of Columbia University. Uh, Dan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. It's great to be here. So... Your work has always uh, been characterized by these really creative ways of getting at uh, these questions about attitudes and you know coming up with really interesting indicators and ways of getting at questions we don't, which we can't normally answer. So what are you working on right now? And let's just let's talk about that. Okay, so a lot of what I've been doing recently has been um, working actually with uh, ordinary people, ordinary Syrian refugees uh, at this point largely in Lebanon. Um, largely trying to understand their experiences with the Civil War and understanding their experiences now that they've taken refuge from it in in another place. And so um, it's an interesting thing to have to do because we are really uh, at ground zero in what we actually know about this society, uh, what we know about just the ordinary people that live in it. Um, It used to be the case that we would refer to Syria um, somewhat grandiosely as a, as a kingdom of silence. And we're in a situation now where that's actually no longer the case. Um, people would talk about ba- uh, breaking the barrier of fear uh, through the uprising. And so we have now a flood of people who actually want to talk about their experiences because they just never had an opportunity to do it before. Um, there was a lot of great research about uh, Syrian society um, from the prior decades, but uh, it was so difficult to get access to people and to get them to feel comfortable to talk about their experiences that uh, we were just limited in what we could actually understand about this. So the interesting thing for me especially is just getting access to really normal people who have lived through a really uh, a really awful experience and try to understand how they've been processing it, how they've been understanding it, and give them an opportunity to talk in a way that they haven't really been able to do before. So what kinds of questions are you asking, and what are you doing with the information that you're collecting? Right, so um, so this first, this first go at it, basically, was an attempt to get um, a, pretty, a, a pretty representative sample of Syrians who've managed to make their way into Lebanon. So... They, as it turns out, look a lot like Syrians elsewhere, as best as we can tell. Um, They're not the same sorts of people, necessarily, who went to Turkey. They're not the same sorts of people who've managed to find their way up to Germany. Um, But they do give us a good start as to understanding what what is this experience that they've gone through. So some of it is just basic basic information we want to know about them, like... um, you know, their family backgrounds, the things like, you know, how, uh, how well educated are you, how interested in politics are you, a lot of the things that we, uh, we now at least have a sense of in other Arab societies mm-hmm. because of um, some really great sources like the Arab Barometer Project that we just were never going to get in Syria previously because it was such a closed society. So we can get some of the basic information on that. We can understand, you know, how religious are people, how important do they think it is to have uh, religion play a role in political life, and so we can get some of the background information on that. So some of it is that, some of it is trying to understand their experience in the Civil War in the context of this 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 fighting that's going on, this conflict, why do you think people are doing it, right? Uh, we, there are lots of stories about it being uh, some horrible sectarian war, and it's something about Sunnis and Alawis fighting each other, and some people... Um, would talk about it and have stuck to the guns and said, this really is democracy versus dictatorship. And you can think of a lot of different stories we tell ourselves about why there's a war going on. Um, and it doesn't seem to be the case that 
any of them are the true story, or they're not, there's not like a one story that everyone has suddenly agreed upon. So we're trying to understand why people think this is happening, and there are actually pretty interesting patterns about why people think it's this one thing versus this other thing. So there's some of that sort of... Uh, so what, what, kind of, what kind of patterns are you seeing? Right, so, um, so one of these is actually, and this gets back to the point of how are you ever going to study this. So there was some great stuff done previously by, um, by uh, folks who were doing a lot of ethnographic work and very deep and detailed field work that were trying to pull, pull apart this, uh, this sort of puzzle. Um, and so what I'm doing is uh, kind of a complement to that sort of work. So um, this is actually based on what's sometimes referred to in the, in the technical jargon as a framing experiment. So what we will end up doing is we're, we're talking to regular people, um, and we will randomize how, how we phrase the question to people. And so in some senses, we're framing this particular conflict in slightly different ways. So for example, we'll say something like, uh, you know, Syrians will talk about this civil war in a lot of different ways. Or Syrians will talk about this conflict in a lot of different ways. For example, some will say it's about democracy versus dictatorship. Or, for example, some will say it's about Sunnis and Alawis fighting. Or some will say it's about foreign forces fighting it out on Syrian territory. And so we'll kind of, we'll, we'll cue them with some of the different narratives that are out there. And so sometimes we'll cue them with one, sometimes we'll cue them with another, sometimes we'll give them a couple of different narratives to think about at the same time. And the idea behind this is that... Um, People are aware that these are the sorts of arguments that are out there. And it's not necessarily clear that they only agree with one or that they believe any of them. Um, but what we end up doing is we, get them to, we, we start them thinking about this particular narrative. And as a result of that, we find out subsequently when we say, do you think people are fighting because of sectarian differences? Do you think people are fighting because it's about corruption? Do you think people are fighting because they're worried about minority rights? We can actually get a sense of whether or not one narrative versus another makes people think, yeah, it's about dictatorship, or yes, it certainly must be about sectarianism. And so it turns out to be really interesting, um, because, I mean, people will talk about this war over and over again, because they're stuck in exile, basically, and they don't really have much to do. So they are, they're trying to make sense of it themselves. It's certainly the case that government forces and opposition forces are trying to convince people that this is the story versus this other one. You know, in some sense, it's, it's a nicety to know why people think it's happening, but there's a very practical reason why we should care, which is that if you can win the narrative war, it actually helps you win the real war as well. Right? If you can convince people that your side of the story is the correct one, if you can get people sympathetic to your views, there's a better chance you'll be able to mobilize supporters, there's a better chance mm -hmm. you'll be able to bring in material support from outside powers or to mobilize it amongst, amongst Syrians themselves. So it's not terribly surprising that both the government and the opposition would be super keen on getting people to believe that this thing, that actually if we frame it this way, it makes us look good and we get people on our side. So there's a real reason why they would want to do it. And so what we're trying to figure out is, does this work? Uh, and which of these narratives really resonate with people? Do you have any uh, anything built into the experiment or built into the study to be able to separate out the framing effects versus more basic demographics? So this is, yeah, and this is actually the really interesting thing. Um, so because it's an experiment, uh, this is actually really nice because it allows us to say, look, we randomized it amongst these, these people. So we can tell you because of the randomization that, look, when we tell people it's this sectarian thing, when we tell people it's this democracy thing, we can subsequently tell you, like, look, they reacted to that. You know, we know all this other stuff will probably influence whether they think it's sectarianism or whether they think it's democracy. Um, 
And that's actually part of the, the interest, that's one of the interesting parts of the story, but we're actually able to isolate this idea that, look, there are narratives out there, and these narratives do or do not affect people and how they think about the war itself. So one of the interesting things, um, spoiler alert on this particular project, we can move government folks, but we can't seem to move opposition folks, which is really interesting. Hmm. Um, what seems to be coming out of this is that when we, when we pitch a story to them about sectarian conflict, it actually seems to be the case that it mobilizes government folks. Like, it makes them think, we need to fight harder because of sectarian differences. We need to fight harder because of minority rights. We need to fight harder because of, uh, you know, a struggle over democracy. There's a lot of reasons. It just makes them more mobilized than hmm. they had before. So it's suggesting that that sectarian narrative, it's not, actu it's not actually really terribly important at a baseline. This is what we're getting from some of the data. But when we put it in, when we put this, this narrative in front of them, it's actually convincing people that this is actually really important that we really fight this war. Um, so it's kind of suggesting that, you know, to the degree we believe that this is, um, this is an active government effort to really play up this part in order to mobilize a support base, there actually might be something to that. That's right? interesting. When, so, you know, Wendy Perlman, in some of the work she's done, she's identified what she, she calls like collective narratives, mm -hmm. where she hears the same story over and over again from different people, different times, different places, and um, suggesting that, you know, the, there's been this kind of collective myth-making and internalization of a particular narrative about what happened. Are you seeing that sort of thing in your interviews in Lebanon? And is that what's making people resistant to alternative cues? So, so this is actually one of the really interesting things. So uh, Wendy's work is actually one of the one a really great example of something that I'm trying to complement because she did wonderful work um, in... in uh, ferreting out these narratives that were coming up over and over again. And I, it's been wonderfully helpful for me to read that, and it's helped me um, make this survey research a lot smarter than it otherwise would have been. So uh, in terms of collective narratives, we, we see repetitions in terms of things that people uh, really seem to be citing. So just at a baseline, ignoring the, ignore the experiment for a second, um, what seems to be coming up are very different stories that government folks focus on and mm -hmm. opposition folks focus on. So... They're the sorts of things that... But can I just ask, are, are you doing this in an open-ended way, or are you giving them, like, a series of things So a lot, to... So a lot of this right now is uh, is based on closed response questions. Okay. okay. So the next set of this, we're actually I'm actually trying to ramp this up so that we can do a lot more work with open-ended questions, okay. because one of the interesting things, of course, is going to be, what are people going to tell me in an unprompted way, as opposed to me just assuming that I've got it right, right that right. these are the narratives people want. But what we can tell you at this point is that uh, the narratives actually really do seem to follow from what the government and the opposition are pushing. And so it seems to be the case that their, their uh, support bases, or at least the people that claim to support them, uh, they seem to be listening, or at least they seem to be buying into these stories. So opposition folks really push hard on the democracy and dictatorship narrative. And they'll really push hard on the corruption, and they'll really push hard on the economic problems. And these were a lot of the things we saw initially during the uprising. Some of them started to fall by the wayside over time as this became a military conflict. But they've stuck to their guns in democracy versus dictatorship. And that's actually really kind of interesting, because mm -hmm. we couldn't budge them with mm -hmm. the experiment. You know, we told them all sorts of stuff. They didn't move on any of this. They stuck to their guns on democracy versus dictatorship. So in some senses, kind of a nice... A nice normative takeaway from this is that I think they're serious, you know, and, uh, you know, sometimes we get a little cynical about this, but they actually seem to be fairly serious about this. So 
when we have folks coming in, like some of the very extreme groups uh, that purport to speak on behalf of these people, it actually doesn't, I mean, if you buy what we're, kind, what we're coming up with this in, in this experiment, it doesn't actually seem to be the case that this really extreme rhetoric or these really extreme, um, these really extreme actions on the part of some of the, uh, some of the groups like ISIS or Nusra, uh, it doesn't seem to be the case that they're, that they're changing opinions in what they're claiming is their own support base. It may be the case that by providing this fodder for government rhetoric, they're able to scare government supporters, but they don't seem to be manipulating what they would otherwise claim to be their support base very much. So that's kind of interesting. So we've got the, we've got the opposition folks doing more or less what we saw them doing at the beginning. We have the government folks actually really buying, it appears at any rate, to be buying into the government line on this. So they really stress things like terrorism. They really stress things like... Um, foreign meddling into their own affairs. They don't, they don't talk at all really about democracy and dictatorship. They don't talk about economic problems. So they seem to be buying into the master narrative that the, uh, the Assad regime has been, has been spinning to, govern, uh, to supporters within Syria and outside of it as well. So, you know, we'd like to think that people are not super easy to manipulate, and I'm not sure they're necessarily being manipulated, but they're certainly following along with, uh, with some of the main stories that are out there. In some of your, uh, your, your other research, you know, you, you've done a lot of interesting things with visual cues, whether it's like the, the, the street displays in Lebanon or the daggers in Yemen, where people are drawing uh, profound inferences about social political life from these you know, immediately evident visual cues. Do you see anything like that with Assyrians that you're talking to, where they seem to be picking up on these kinds of things in ways that are predictable or, or for that matter, unpredictable? You know, so we haven't actually done much with that yet. Um, so I, I have to imagine that we will, in part because, um, I mean, this is, this is an existential crisis for a lot of people. It's completely destroyed their lives at home. They are picking up the pieces elsewhere. Sometimes they haven't even been able to pick up the pieces. Um, but it's not the case that they've managed to get across the border and they can shut off what's happening in the Civil War. So um, there, there's a lot of iconography about the Civil War. There, I mean, there'll be lots of pieces, um, uh, lots, of, lots of journalistic articles that will describe things like... Um, uh, revolutionary iconography that's popping up in some of the refugee camps mm -hmm. or some of the informal camps. Um, it's certainly been the case that uh, the government itself has tried very hard to mobilize Syrians in Lebanon or elsewhere for some of the uh, like the parliamentary elections that have occurred a couple times now or the presidential elections. So um, some of the some of the extreme forms of iconography that people like Lisa Wadeen had been documenting in the past have shown up again outside of the country. So there will be the massive portraits mm -hmm. of, of the president and a lot of the um, a lot of the over the top sycophantic rhetoric. And so this isn't accidental. And it's not the case that these are just um, these are just foolish people who are parroting it. Uh, there's actually a rhyme and a reason to it. And it I you know we haven't got we haven't gotten into this part of the research yet, but there's certainly going to be some aspect of a visual component to this and there's certainly going to be some aspect of a performative um, a performative aspect where people are attempting to demonstrate possibly to possibly to each other, possibly to what they suspect are going to be government minders that you know we're reliable people, we're not you know we we're not pro-revolution. At this point it's hard to say that people are necessarily pro-government. Uh, it does seem to be the case that people are anti-revolution more than pro-government, but you know we're not trying to rock the boat like these other folks are. We 
wants some form, some, some semblance of normalcy, normalcy again. We don't necessarily know what it's going to look like, uh, but by default, the guy who's sitting there in Damascus right now is much closer to normal than what we think is going to happen if, mm-hmm. you know, some of the, if, if some of the guys on the other side happen to win this thing. So um, that's totally an open question, and it'll be wonderful to, uh, wonderful to look into it because there's a whole lot more there than we can actually tell right now because, again, we've just, we have had so little access to this society for such a long time that we're still starting from, from the very beginning for a lot of this stuff. All right. Well, thanks. Uh, Dan Corstange, Columbia University. Fascinating research. Uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks. It's been wonderful.